Everybody take a deep breath in and a deep breath out. Okay. It's been a long weekend for me, but I woke up excited today. I don't know why. So, uh, well, I do know why. But anyway, uh, you know, last week we started this uh, message series called The Master's Peace. And, and really what we're talking about is, are you, are you a masterpiece or are you the master's peace? Right, And we looked at a scripture uh, in Ephesians 2.10. It says, for we are God's masterpiece. But it doesn't stop there. It continues to say, he has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can what? So, so we can what? So that we can do something, right? So that we can do the good things that he planned for us long, long ago. The truth is, you are a masterpiece. Now, don't get a big head about it. <laughs> you are a masterpiece. But you weren't created so you could just stand around and the rest of the world could stare at you. Right? You were created a masterpiece. What that means is you were specifically created very uniquely, very perfectly by the ultimate artist to do something for the Lord, to be, be a piece in his puzzle, or to be a piece in, uh, in the, the, what we could say is the game of the, the leading to his kingdom, and his kingdom coming, his will being done. Right? Everybody say, that's right. Okay. I don't know why I had you say that, but I did. So anyway, so the thing is, is last week we talked about what, it, you know, kind of that perspective of, are you a masterpiece? Are you the master's piece? But then it really kind of comes down to, so what does it look like to be used by God? What does that mean? And, and I think there's different ways that people are used by God. So today we're going to kind of dig into, and next week we'll, we'll kind of conclude on this, is, uh, is we're going to dig into, like, so how might God use you? What, are, what is something or, or what might God ask you to do? And what, we'll see whether or not you'll do it, right? <laughs> and so let's bow our heads real quick. We'll pray over the message, and, and then we'll get into it. Father, thank you so much for today. Thank you for what we just got to be part of here uh, as a church family. And Lord, I just pray that, uh, that you would inspire each one of us to take big steps for you, kind of like Mike and Amy are. God, and I just pray that today as we get into your word that that's what's, what stands out to us, that it's not uh, my stories or something I might say, but it's your word that takes the forefront today. God, let it speak to us. Give us ears that hear you speaking, hearts that understand what you're saying, and minds that desire to live out what you're instructing us to live out. And God, um, just, just I pray that today some of us will be motivated to, to make a move for you. In Jesus' name. And everybody says... Amen. Okay. So when we're talking about doing things for the Lord, it typically leads us into a, a conversation about what is more important, faith or doing good things, right? This is a debate that's gone on for generations in the world today. Can doing good works be enough to get you into heaven? I wasn't really asking a question, but I did pause there. Okay. So I'll, I guess I'll ask the question then. Can good works alone get you into heaven? But a lot of people say, but they were a good person. I mean, God has to let them in. Oh, really? You're going to tell what God what he has to do? Right? Like, he's got to make it to heaven, or she's got to make it to heaven, because they were such good people. But the word's really clear that that won't get you into heaven. Now, you might not want to answer out loud on this one. Does having faith in Jesus, but never doing good works, get you into heaven? Let's read. In James 2... In verse 14, James' brother Jesus, by the way, spent lots of time with Jesus. Um, could you imagine that? Jesus was your brother? Like, would you believe in him? Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so, no. Uh, but James did. So, 
James 2, verse 14. It says this. It says, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, Go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it or what good are you? Verse 17. In the same way, faith by itself, if not accompanied by action, is... What does dead mean? Dead. Dead means dead. It means not alive. It means does not exist. It means nothing. It means faith without action is not real faith. For faith to exist, it has to be alive. Turn to your neighbor and say, is your faith alive? This is exactly what we're talking about when we're talking about the difference between having a masterpiece mindset or a master's piece. I only told you to say one, like four words, and then you just, you mumble then for like minutes. You miss the next point. Calm it down. I know it's like a family reunion in here and everything, but I'm speaking. (laughs) Do we have to do this every week, people? This is exactly what I'm talking about when we're talking about the difference between having a a masterpiece mindset and a master's piece mindset. It it, it really is. Um, Because according to James, you have to be putting action into your faith. It's not just about having faith. It's about putting action into it. Okay? I want to read the next verse. It's verse 18. And and then I want to talk for a second. Uh, In James 2.18, it says, But someone will say, You have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I'll show you my faith by my deeds. Now, if you actually slow down, you can leave that up on the screen. And read that. I I, I slowed down and kind of like tried to chew on this for a minute, and I got confused. Because just the way it's worded, it takes a minute to kind of figure out what it's saying. The second sentence, not as hard. The first sentence is a little... what does that mean? Someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds, and then it goes into the show me your faith thing. And so what I do, and I want to I encourage you to do, is when I'm confused about a scripture and I'm not exactly sure what it says, I will try to go to read it in some different translations and see if any of them help me to understand it better. Okay? And so if you're ever confused on one, go to your Bible app or whatever and just flip through a couple different translations and try to see if you can find some more understanding. I did this on this one because I wanted to go deeper in understanding it. So I found in the New Living Translation that it says it this way, verse 18. Now someone might argue some people have faith and others have good deeds. Already right there, it's easier to understand because it doesn't combine those two things. Instead, it's speaking about two different people. Okay? Some people have faith, others have good deeds. But I say, how can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? Right? I will show you my faith by my good deeds. And then it says in verse 19, you say you have faith for you believe that there is one God. Good for you. Even the demons believe this and they tremble in terror. So this is saying that knowing that there's a God is one thing. But putting action to that understanding, that knowing, is a whole other thing. That even the demons believe that there is a God, but the, the, the demons aren't saved, are they? No, right? So, so anyway, this is, this is really clear. That if you, can, if you just say that you're a believer, it doesn't mean that you're a believer. There's a big difference between raising your hand on a Sunday and saying, I want Jesus, and actually wanting Jesus to be Lord of your life, right? Can we agree on that? Okay. And so I think 
I think that we need to be, here's a good question. Jesus, a good statement. Jesus says, they will know that you're my disciples by the way that you love people, right? So outside of sitting in this room and the people that you're, you're rubbing elbows with right now, does anybody outside of here know that you're a believer? Not because you said you're a Christian or because you say you go to this church or that church, but because of what they see coming out of you. That's what this is talking about. And James doubles down on it a couple different times. Verse 20, he says, You foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together. And his faith was made complete by what he did. If you don't know the story, Abraham, he was challenged by God to sacrifice his son on an altar. It was a test. God was saying, do you really, do you really believe? Will you really follow me? Now, God stopped him before that happened, but it proved that he really had faith. How do you prove you have faith, right? His actions validated his belief, okay? And he doesn't stop there. He keeps going. In verse 25, he says, in the same way was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for, for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. And what does dead mean? Dead. Very good. We're doing, we're doing well today. But God's saying, like, what have you done for me lately, right? Like, God's asking you, okay, I get that you raised your hand and you said a prayer, but what have you done? What have you done, right? Your faith needs to be coupled with action. So I feel like pretty clearly we've gone through, you know, talked about the debate, you know, good deeds versus faith. You have to have faith, but it has to be coupled. It has to work together with action, okay? And I think when people begin to focus on what they can do for God or what they want to do for God, um, they start thinking about things like, um, okay, next time God asks me to pray for that person in the Meyer parking lot, I guess I will do that, right? <laughs> or uh, I'm gonna, a lot of people think like the action that they're going to take is they're going to go to church or, uh, or they're going to pray over their food or something like that. And those things aren't bad. Those are, those are you know, like what about Bob? Those are baby steps, you know? <laughs> those, those are like, you, you know, but, but what if God asks you to do more? What if, like Mike and Amy, God asks you to change everything? What if he asks you to change everything? What, what about like a person who chooses to become a missionary, right? Leave, leave everything they've ever known. If God asks you to go, would you go? It's a good question. And I think at some point in your life, every person here will be asked a big question like that from the Lord if you're truly following the Lord. So there's a really powerful moment in the book of Isaiah where he's faced with this type of moment. So I want to read it to you, and then we'll talk about it. Isaiah 6, 1 says this, In the year that King Uzziah, I think, uh, died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. I don't know how that works. I don't care how that works. And, uh, and they were calling to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. You've probably heard that statement before, right? And then it says, at the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Now, Isaiah is having a dream, okay? 
He's, he's, and he's seen into heaven. That, that was just setting the stage for what happens. It says in verse 5, Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean what? Lips. Okay, remember that. And I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. So he thinks he's going to die because he's not worthy to be in the presence of the Lord. And, and he's not worthy to even see the Lord like this, okay? Verse 6, it says, Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. We've heard something like that before. Sin being atoned for or paid for. Verse 8, Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, here I am, send me. Pretty cool moment that Isaiah has. Now this is long before, um, long before he, he even, like, you know Isaiah's like the prophet, one of the, the prophets who prophesied about the Messiah and who Jesus, you know, Jesus was gonna come and all this different stuff. This is before a lot of that stuff happened. Before all that stuff happened, this, is, this was his calling. This is what happened to Mike and Amy today happened to him in that moment right there. Like, it's time. Here begins your ministry. And Isaiah has no idea what he's getting into, but he doesn't even hesitate. He's like, here I am. Send me. I don't think I'm supposed to be in this moment in heaven, but hey, I'm in the corner over here, and I'm, I'm willing to go, right? But what's interesting is he doesn't start out with that attitude. He starts out going, I am not worthy to be in this place. And I think for a lot of people, God has called you or is calling you to do something with your life and you are hesitating like he was because you think you're not good enough. We don't feel like we're good enough to be used by God. And so often we pass by opportunities, we pass by or we plug our ears to God's calling because we think we're disqualified. But you are more than enough, right? I mean, we look at, we look at what happened to, to Isaiah here. The Lord knows what he's thinking. He knows that he, he feels unworthy. He's not really in the corner in the dream. God knows he's there. And so he feels this way. And, and again, we'll go back to verse 6. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a, a live coal on his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. And it says, with it, he touched my, my lips, my mouth. And said, see, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. Why did they touch his lips? Because it was the part of him that he thought was unworthy. And you all have your reasons. You have all your thoughts of why you're, you're unworthy. But Jesus came to atone for your sins. This is cool. It's like a foreshadowing of what Jesus does, did for us on the cross, right? And it should speak to us about, because it's the same wording, this atoned for, this paid for. It, it, it should encourage us to know that God will do for us or has done for us with Jesus what he did for Isaiah. And think of all the things that Isaiah did. I mean, he prophesied about Jesus himself. And so you and I, we are good enough. This is, this is the masterpiece part, right? Let's go back to the Ephesians 2.10. For we are God's masterpiece. How are we his masterpiece? We are his masterpiece because he cre has created us anew in Jesus Christ. Jesus created us anew. Jesus atoned for our shortcomings so that we could say, here I am. Send me, right? 
So Isaiah has this moment where he's a new masterpiece, and just moments later, he volunteers for it. His, his life would, would no longer be his own. He'd be speaking all around the world or all around the land and to kings and to, to everybody. He, he, he was the voice of God. So, so what would give him the boldness to say, pick me? It's that his sin was atoned for, and, he, and he, he knew he had something to grab hold of. And at first service, I didn't have this plan, but uh, at this moment, I thought about Indiana Jones. And I'll explain why. You remember in Indiana Jones, when they, they have to, I think it's in the last movie, they have to walk across the invisible bridge to get across the cavern. You remember that? And, and, and they're, they're trying to find, what, the Holy Grail, right? Is that it? And, uh, and so they... In the notes he has, it's called a step of faith. It was so cool first service. I was having like an aha moment. I didn't plan it. And I was like, oh my gosh, Indiana Jones is so perfect. <laughs> so, how did I think of this? Do you know that the word says that the Holy Spirit will bring to your mind anything that you need in the time that you need it? Even Indiana Jones. <laughs> Boom, mic drop, God, right? So anyway... They're standing at the edge of this cliff, and they're looking, and they're going, they're, they're, the bridge is invisible. They don't know it's there. And they've got they've to have a step of faith to step out into the, into the abyss, right? So what do they do? They pick up a little dirt and throw it out onto it. Now, even though the dirt's on it, it's still a little scary, right? If you remember the movie, even though they can see the dirt's on it, he's still like... <laughs> You know, and he steps out and his foot hits the solid ground, even though it's invisible. I believe that this is what happens to Isaiah when the coals touch his lip. It's like the, the sand has been thrown out on it. And even though it's still going to be a scary thing to say, here I am, God, at least he knows that God's got him. And so in the same way, Jesus has done this for you and for me. Like, yes, he wants us to take this step of faith, and I, he knows it's scary. He knows that it's out of your comfort zone. He knows that Indiana is two and a half hours away, right? He knows it, but he has thrown the dirt out on the path with Jesus. He took away the reasons for why you're not, you, you would be scared. It's human to still have fear in, in some way or another, but he's, he's made it possible for you to trust so you could take the step. But you got to get that from here to here, right? It can't be a head thing because if it's, just, if it's just thought, then your mind can be changed. But if it's in your heart, it's who you are. And so if you can, if you can get that understanding of being atoned for, being good enough, being worthy, being the masterpiece it'll enable you to become the master's piece. Take a step of faith. So what I want to do here real quick is I want everybody to just close your eyes. And uh, first, before we, just listen, before we pray, I'm sure there are people in this room who feel like God has been speaking to them about doing something with their life and they have held back from doing it. So what I want to do is if that's you, with your eyes closed right now, everybody's eyes closed, if that's you and you know God's asking you to do something and you have not taken that step of faith, would you just raise your hand? Hands all over. So if your hand's up, you're not alone either. Okay, you can put your hands back down. I want to pray a prayer over those people that just raised their hand. Father, you know the hearts of every person that, that, that just raised their hand. You know what you're speaking to them. 
you, you know the calling that you have on their life. And today, just the boldness to raise their hand and admit it, God, I pray that it begins a, a change in them. I pray that they today will understand that they are a masterpiece that you have created and that you do have great things in mind for them and that if they would take this step today, that they can see the fruit that you're showing them is going to come in the future. God, I pray that you help encourage them and embolden them to take that step today with a new, fresh understanding that if God says go, he's not gonna leave you behind. He's gonna go with you. He's gonna go before you to pave the way. He's gonna stand behind you to guard you from any attacks from behind. And he's going to hold you up on both sides when the ground gets shaky. I believe this. The word tells us this, promises us this. Today, if you raised your hand, I wanna, I wanna just encourage you to take the step of faith. And God, for everybody else that's in this room, I pray that when this moment comes in their life where you ask them to take this big step of faith, if you ch ask them to change everything or change something to, to, to make a major change in your direction, God, that, you, that, that they would be willing. God, encourage them that they would be willing to step in your direction, to step strong for you. Now, with everybody's eyes closed in here, real quick, before we close, if you're here and this is all new to you, or maybe you've been to church, but you've never, you've never taken faith seriously. Maybe you're one of those people who say, yeah, I believe, but in your heart, you were never really a follower of Christ. And today you want to become one. You want to know that Jesus is your Lord and Savior, that you're going to heaven, but that you're going to become a piece in his puzzle, in his plan, and be used by God. If that's you, and today you want to start living for God and moving in his direction and being used by him, just lift your hand up. Is there anybody that knows they want to make that decision? Awesome. awesome. Hands all over. Praise Jesus. Awesome. Okay, you can put your hands down. And if you're watching online, you, can you, you don't have to be in this room to make Jesus Lord and start going in his direction. You can do it right from wherever you're watching right now. So we're going to pray together. The, the word is clear that we need to declare with our mouth that Jesus is Lord. But like I've said during this message today, it's not just about this prayer. It's about taking steps in God's direction starting now. So we want to help you to do that as well. So we're going to start, though, by, by you declaring with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and that you're going to start moving in his direction. So let's pray together. Just repeat this after me. Say, Lord, thank you for loving me. Thank you for sending Jesus to pay the price for me. I needed forgiveness. And so today I repent of the things that have kept me from you. Today I choose to make Jesus Lord of my life. I don't want to live my way anymore. I want to live your way. So lead me into the life you created for me. And I am going to take steps for you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If this message touched you in any way and you'd like to talk to someone at the church, you can reach us online at rlcbr.org. Search for us on Facebook. And if you're in the Big Rapids area, visit us on Sunday morning at our location in Big Rapids or the church right across the street from Menards.